back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we dig in deep to analyze the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. I'm Andy Nelson from TheNextReel.com. And I'm Pete Wright, also from The Next Reel. We're looking at Jon Favreau's 2008 film, Iron Man. And joining us this week, it's a, uh, a really fun guest. We have chaplain of the Movies by Minute community, Father David Mowry. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I'm happy to be looking at a thoroughly Marvel movie. <laughs> thoroughly. <laughs> Truer words, <It> never spoken. <laughs> And it's going to be a fun week. There's a lot of juicy stuff for us to chat about. So I am very much looking forward to it. On today's show, uh, we're looking at minute 86. The minute starts with Obadiah staring angrily at the TV and ends with Obadiah stepping menacingly from the Suburban. A lot of little uh, Obadiah moments. He's so angry. He knows something. <laughs> he, is, he is much displeased by this news report, and I don't think it's just because uh, it's not his favorite news channel. There's something about the content of this program. It's giving him pause for concern. It's doing something, that's for sure. That's uh, If you didn't know that he was a bad guy by the time you saw that face, that face really kind of tells you everything you need to know. Yeah, it, it feels I mean, we've talked about this uh, in prior uh, weeks that, uh, it, you know, there was some concern that maybe at the time they started filming this movie, they didn't know how things were going to play out. Right. With the, right. the big bad. This face, this face mm. cements that they they figured it out. <laughs> yeah, you'd like to say, OK, you know what? We, we have we've decided you are going to be the bad guy of the film. Give us an angry face here. Yes, angry face. Right? All right, now, Jeff, so Jeff, baby, you got to work with me here. Now, I want to I want to see mad. I want to see scheming. I want to see plotting. Show, show me maniacal. Yes, good. All right, more. Is it possible that they actually colored his beard angrier? I think his beard is angrier. He definitely has darker, angrier cheeks. It's a very made-up looking face here. And yeah. it makes it look like the beard is fake, which makes me wonder if, I, I don't know, looking at him here versus at the end of this minute, I feel like this was a reshoot. He'd gone on to another project and he might be wearing a bald cap and a fake beard here. Oh, that's an interesting, mm. <laughs> interesting comment. I don't know, but it's a yeah. really fake looking beard. Either that or his makeup's really heavy. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That is spray on if I've ever seen it. I have terrible Wigdar, so you, you couldn't prove it by me. <laughs> Wigdar. <laughs> I've never heard that, but I'm adopting it. <laughs> well, if it comes to Pepper's wig, I have terrible Wigdar, too, because I, I never knew he was wearing a wig through this film. But uh, yeah, it's uh, I, but but apparently some people can tell. I don't know. Yeah. It looks good to me. That's a gift. So so have you fellas talked at all about uh, Stain's first name? You talked at all about Obadiah? We oh, have it. So about, glad you brought yeah. that up. This is what I. This is why you're here. <laughs> I, I do happen to know a little bit about the provenance of this name. Yes, oh, uh, bring dabbled the rain, once father. or twice with the Bible. <laughs> I picked it up here and there. Yeah, so it, it's you know, Obadiah is one of those names that's part of American societies uh, somehow that evokes the Old Testament, uh, which brings up images of prophets and patriarchs and grand sweeping vistas with Charlton Heston in the background. Uh, but Obadiah as a name comes from one of the what are called the minor prophets in the Bible. So uh, you have, of course, the heavy hitters, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. But then there are 12 
prophetic books in the Bible that are much shorter in length, and Obadiah is one of them. And each of those minor prophets tends to focus on a very particular issue. The thing that's interesting to me, uh, Obadiah as a prophet in the Old Testament was prophesying against Edom. Now, Edom was a, a kingdom to the south of what we think of as Palestine, uh, Israel, the Holy Land. And Edom served as a vassal state to the kingdom of Judah. Uh, things started to go sideways for Judah when the Babylonians showed up, uh, demanding that they uh, give in to the rule of Nebuchadnezzar, the fearful Babylonian king. And Edom just said, boy, that, that definitely sounds like your problem. We're just going to sit here and watch how this all plays out. Uh, Obadiah, as a prophet, had some very strong words for Edom, uh, calling the people of Edom to remember that they have a blood kinship with the people of Israel. Uh, because according to the book of Genesis, the people of Edom trace their lineage back to Esau, the brother of Jacob, who later gained the name Israel, the father of the 12 tribes that settled again in the Holy Land. So there is this story of betrayal that Obadiah tells of between blood brothers. And that theme of betrayal really made uh, uh, made an interesting nuance to Stain's character here, because he he has this almost blood relationship with Tony. He's he's a second father to him after Howard passes away, and there is. Well, I want I, I wouldn't want to talk about minutes that haven't come up yet, but you know, given that he's showing up to talk to Roz at the end of this minute, oh, I think some betrayal might be in the forecast here. Just yeah, just might just might think about that, right? <laughs> That's fascinating. Betrayal and and betrayed. Like it almost mm-hmm. feels like Obadiah in this position is you know a minor prophet with a Napoleon complex in Obadiah Stain. Oh, well, trying to get a bigger piece of the action. Exactly. Yeah, that's, right. kind of, that's kind of the, mm-hmm. a, a dual read on it for me. Yeah, it's a really interesting uh, element to that. It does make me wonder, because, I mean, obviously, Obadiah came from the from the comics. It does make me wonder if when they were coming up with it, that they did a little research and, and said, this would be a great name to, to include here because of this nature. Uh, I, I mean, granted, the comic book Obadiah was much different. I mean, he was pretty much always Stark's competitor, mm-hmm. um, but he kind of came into the picture initially just as a as a mysterious bad guy before any of that other side uh, of him came out. So, but regardless, it works really well the way that they integrated him into the script in the film here. I've, I've got a comic question, and uh, since we're we're diving into the biblical lore, given the sort of cultural. Uh, I guess the the time and the cultural gestalt at the time that the comics were being um, written mm-hmm. uh, are are there more uh, sort of biblical references like this rooted in the comic pages than there you know than in the movies is this is this kind of a a parallel that we can see sort of bearing more fruit if we go back that far? Well, if you look at, uh, say, the origin story of Superman, uh, he is space yeah. Moses, isn't he? He right, is right, sent right, to right. safety in a uh, a pod rather than a wicker basket. And a wicker basket, right. Superman is space Moses. And that's important because the writers of Superman were themselves Jews. And the very creation of Superman was a 
<laughs> a derisive gesture towards the Nazis. Oh, you think you're the mm-hmm. Superman. You think you're the Ubermensch. Well, we'll we'll show you a Superman. We'll come up with yeah. someone who really exemplifies what is true and best about the human race. Turns out he's an alien <laughs> for another planet, but oh. you know, ignore that for now. Uh, but the, the, the origin story uh, evokes that biblical story as well. Uh, I'm sure there are other details. There were so many people of Jewish background working in comics in the 50s and 60s that if other scriptural references work their way in, I wouldn't be surprised. It does seem like one of those uh, it's it's I mean, it's a it's a book full of amazing tales. Uh, You know, I mean, if you if you just look at it outside of that kind of religious uh, angle, uh, which obviously is what really it's founded on. But you look at it just with the stories that are in there. There are some just amazing stories full of incredibly fascinating characters. And it gives you a, a fantastic resource to kind of pull from and allow you to kind of say, oh, you know what, this this biblical story uh, had a lot of uh, really interesting elements, the way that um, these characters were representing these different motives or intentions. And it could be a really interesting thing to kind of play with that. And I, I, I mean, I, I can't speak to comics specifically, but I feel like even in cinema, you've seen stories that have pulled from the pages of the Bible uh, to tell some interesting stories because you can find such uh, such rich content in it. Even looking at the history of film in particular, superhero movies are the biblical epics of of days gone past when it comes to they are big, parables, blown right? out, blockbuster, huge budget extravaganzas. And now instead of telling the stories of the Bible or Cleopatra famously, now it's Iron Man and Spider-Man and Ant-Man and all the other mans and women's who are you know, in the pages of the Marvel comics. I think those those two things are are connected for a reason. In the Bible, we don't have long passages explaining scenery and details and giving inner monologues. The Bible tells stories through the actions of its characters. We come to know who King David is by how he reacts to Goliath and how he reacts to Bathsheba. We come to know who Jesus is by how he acts and responds to the people around him. That lends itself to a cinematic imagination very easily because we have the actions and then we can fill in a lot of nuance and detail around that. Same thing with comic books. We have, you know, some pages that are filled with text, but the primary draw of comic books is the the graphics, the action showing the detail of what the heroes are doing, which again, lends itself to a cinematic imagination very easily. Yeah, I think there's a lot that you can find there. And I, I it makes sense that the superhero world does do that because also of the, and I don't want to use this word in a way that is offensive at all, but the fantastical stories, and I mean that just in, you know, fantastical things happening in the Bible, um, just, you know, amazing things that you wouldn't normally see with your eyes. The way that that is interpreted in the superhero movies, I think, is also an interesting element that uh, that speaks to another way to tell stories about, you know, powerful coming to help you or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. These are our, uh, yeah, insofar as Obadiah is at the root of a modern morality tale. A modern morality tale that he does not come off smelling like a rose in. No. No, <laughs> no, no. He's a, he he's makes a the wrong moral choices. Yeah. Mm, tisk, tisk, Obadiah. No, no, no. That's not what we do to our foster sons. Mm-mm. No, yeah. We, he's, uh, he's not so good as we find out. Mm. Uh, really starting in this minute. 
But before we get to that point, we have that le- brief little bit with him at the beginning. We end up in Tony's workshop, and this is uh, this is a replacement scene. Uh, we talked about it last uh, last week. There was a scene that um, initially uh, after the after uh, Tony goes and destroys the Jericho missiles and uh, attacks the terrorists in Golmira, uh, he's doing it out of his place in Dubai. And that scene ends with him coming back to his um, his place in Dubai and Pepper finding him and he says, you know, get me out of here. And that was kind of the end of the scene. They really reworked that whole thing. And I think they made it a lot more fun because now it's back at Tony's workshop instead of going to Dubai and then to Afghanistan. He just basically flies from L.A. to Afghanistan back in his suit, which I, I guess uh, must be uh, must be really quick. But he does it. And and so here we have the the end of that. This is the scene where Pepper comes downstairs and finds him in the suit. And it's it's interesting how they wrote it so much for the comedy, especially because as she starts coming down, the camera is entirely on her for quite a while. And we're just hearing the audio of of Tony <laughs> and Jarvis in some dialogue that has some uh, some rich uh rich ways to read it <laughs> <laughs> when you're not seeing specifically what is happening. Um, it's quite funny. Uh, be gentle. It's my first time. Lots of lines <laughs> like that that we're getting. It plays for a really funny, uh, funny end. And I guess, I, I guess it for me, it ends up working better because after that big action scene, you need a little reprieve. And I think that the the uh, Dubai finale just seems so serious. And this just allows for kind of a breath and, and some laughs. I think it sets the tone for the pattern the Marvel movies are going to follow from here on out. Yes, big, all-out action scenes, but then comedy as a palate cleanser afterwards to ground and humanize the characters. And I think that that's part of the overall Marvel, the the way Marvel treats their characters. Even in the comic books, Marvel heroes are very human. Their humanity, their flaws, their weaknesses, their comedy is is up and and center, front and center, I should say. Whereas DC heroes are more godlike; they're a little more removed from the quotidian and the day to day. And so it, it's hard to imagine uh, Batman having this kind of conversation outside of, say, the Lego Batman movie. Yeah, that is very true. This is this is a place of of fun. And I know a lot of people really focus on the comedy that came out of like the Guardians of the Galaxy films and Thor Ragnarok. Mm. But I think right here you're seeing that same thing. I, I, there's a lot of this this humor that, uh, as you said, it really kind of uh, the stage was set with scenes like this. Yeah, I, I, absolutely right. Plus the little Easter eggs. We get that shot of the uh, uh, when we have that uh, two shot, we've got her in the in the background and him with his arms spread uh, and uh, tied up with all the robot arms. And right behind him is Cap's like prototype shield. Look at that. Look at that. I never noticed that before. There it is. Holy <laughs> smokes. Wow. This is the first time we see this little Easter egg. What a what a wonderful glimpse. What's so funny about the fact that we have that shield back there is I feel like they were trying to put it back there without making it obviously Captain America's shield. It looks like what they were doing is like, let's lay these components out. We'll kind of put some pieces here and make it look like so when the camera's looking at it, it just happens to have a, a, a Captain America shield-like feel to it. Because it it looks all like the the red, the the red circles aren't complete and they're kind of stuck up a little bit. The star is only half there. 
it's a funky looking piece. And, and, and you know, I think I think I've read some people saying that it looks like he's been doing some some kind of operating on it, trying to, you know, pull some stuff off or put some stuff mm-hmm. on or whatever it is. But I don't know. I, I can't ever quite figure out what their intentions were here. If it was meant to be Captain America's shield or if it's just a, a, a cute little thing that they added just in case. I, I think it's brilliant. And I, you know, once you see it, it you can't unsee it. Right. It just it it fills in the holes, the visual holes of the half star and the half circle and mm-hmm. all the little plates and the pieces. Those get filled in by my brain so seamlessly. Uh, it, it's just an amazing nerd gift. Well, that makes the, the scene in a later movie a little more palatable for me if they've introduced it as existing in Tony's workshop in the first movie. That was a bit of an eye rolling moment for me in Iron Man 2. And it was like, mm, OK, sure, fine. But to see it here. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, they did the groundwork. They they set it up, and I just didn't notice before. So, all right, kudos to them. Wow. Yeah, it does look like it's exploded out, like Tony likes to do with his 3D models, where the different layers, the red rings and the blue circle and the white star are floating on top of each other. That's a great way to describe it. That's exactly what it looks like. Absolutely. It's variation on a theme. And what's so wonderful about it is it absolutely tests my, uh, I I guess, uh, my understanding of what the shield is. I always imagined it as just like an embossed single sheet of vibranium. And uh, what we have here demonstrates that it's either this is a a work in progress, like not using final materials, or it's saying that this thing is components. It's it's a a, it's of a piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Tony needed it for some transistors in the suit. (laughs) <laughs> he just tore it down. <laughs> I, I needed these parts. <laughs> I like to imagine that. That then he has to like pull them back out of his suit to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> here, here you go. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know. Tony doesn't strike me as the kind of guy to put something back together after he's taken it no. apart. <laughs> right. <laughs> but there are uh, half a dozen cannibalized projects around the workshop like that. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Did you see the cave? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. He is very much that way. This is a fun scene. And what I think ends up lending it some gravitas that I think ends up really making it work better for me by balancing the comedy is Pepper's reaction. She comes down and she has a look of kind of confusion at first. But then as she's kind of looking and I mean, he's got his funny, funny line, you know, let's face it, it's not the worst thing you've caught me doing before. But then the look on her face as she's staring at him in the suit and she just says, are those bullet holes that I don't know. There's something about the the power in that line and the the uh, the heart and shock and everything that that she's delivering that that gives the scene everything else that it needed. I think Pepper Potts is the best supporting character in the MCU and her uh her absence of of any significance in later movies is one of the great tragedies of these later movies because Gwyneth Paltrow does such a great job with this character and lending some adult seriousness, but also some tenderness, some human stakes in a a relationship with Tony. It grounds Tony, it humanizes him and gives him a a reasonable sounding board. And and the way that she delivers this line, Andy, I I absolutely agree. It, It gives us a little perspective of, oh, right, human lives are at stake and Tony could have died. We were brought, swept up in the cowboy cavalierness of Tony when he went off on this mission. But the way she says it, it sounds like to me that this is the worst thing that she's ever caught him doing because nothing else threatened his life 
in the same way as this crazy right. escapade he started. It's one of those wonderful little emotional roller coasters where as an audience member, you hear Tony's line and you laugh and immediately hear Paltrow's line and you cry like you're oh, you're right. I was wrong. I shouldn't have laughed. Not funny. Funny. Not yeah. funny. Right. Yeah. Right. There's a great balance to it. And that's why Perfect. that's why I think the scene like this is how a great scene works. You have that that balance of those emotions and it it, it ends up not just being there just for a laugh. It ends up having an actual beat to it that that lends to the story and the character growth that we're watching as the relationship between Pepper and Tony continues over the course of the film. And it gives us so much uh, without actually having to have them tell us so much. Just in that, in the joke and the line, in such a short scene, we learn a thousand new ways to feel. Yeah, yeah. No, it's good stuff. We go from Pepper. We have another of our Star Wars wipes. Star Wars wipe. Uh, yeah. He, he, he loves uh, doing these wipes uh, when we're going uh, around the world. So off to Afghanistan, we get another wipe. And here we are. Uh, tons of shipping containers. Uh, they all have Stark Industries logos on the sides. I'm assuming this is what all of the uh, the weapons have been coming in because there are just so many of these shipping containers. We see Raza and his men, uh, all people we've seen before, and they're waiting for somebody to arrive. We see a row of, of uh, Suburbans pulling up, and lo and behold, Obadiah pops out. And it's the great tinted window reveal, right? Oh, I love it. It's a great, it's a really great shot. Oh, yeah. Why is it that private military contractors only buy black suburban SUVs? <laughs> right? Well, and here's the best thing about these black suburbans is that they all have AWACS dishes on them. Did you notice that? They're all connected to space. Oh, yes, they do. Oh, these are top dollar <laughs> military contractors. They, they operate in the cloud because they're moving into cyber warfare. <laughs> it's in the cloud. <laughs> Uh, this is this is a great scene because it actually puts, you know, Raza, who we thought was the big bad, and it gives us a new big bad to look at right next to him. And he's also bald and intimidating. And it makes both Obadiah look more menacing. Uh, and it, it makes, uh, you know, uh, Raza look weak. And, and it's, a, again, a perfect way to shift the balance. It's amazing to me that an hour and 26 minutes into this film, we finally meet the real villain of the piece, the one who's been pulling the strings the whole time. It just, it just seems like such a long time in raw minutes. But since he's been around, we've gotten these hints like oh, things are kind of strained between him and Tony. Things are a little awkward or strange. But this reveal casts new light on all of Obadiah's actions up to this point. Uh, it's so carefully done. It's brilliant. It really is. It makes you, I mean, it's a great mystery that we've really had no clue of. And uh, again, I mean, I do think the filmmakers were for quite a while trying to figure out who the villain was. It wasn't going to be uh, Obadiah Stane initially, but I I feel like it's they, they ended up finding a way to seamlessly make it work because I don't feel yet like there have been any issues that make me go, ooh, boy, that went through some rewrites. Like, I feel like it, it, was meant to go this way. And that's impressive. It's impressive given all of the apparent concern over not knowing where they were going to go. This feels absolutely hand to glove, like this is how it was supposed to go. And in fact, I mean, I didn't predict it uh, when I first saw the movie, but of course I predicted it. You know, that that feeling of just general awareness that 
this this was meant to be. Well, it was total actor fake out, too. You don't expect Jeff Bridges to be the bad <laughs> guy, not the dude. It's I don't know if it's quite at the Henry Fonda Once Upon a Time in the West <laughs> no. level, but uh, but it is a good fake out. I will give you that for sure, because yeah, what was the last time he played a bad guy other than uh, uh, before this? I don't know. Do you, can either of you place that place that in his career? I can't remember. I got nothing. I'd have to. Yeah, I'd have to scroll through his. Yeah, his, his career I'm list. And see. It's long. <laughs> yeah, right. He's been in one or two no, movies. I, yeah, just yeah, just a few. Yeah. Just a few. Something that uh, I think that we should track as we watch, uh, as we watch Obadiah in these moments. Um, keep an eye on his ears. Let's just hmm. let's just see how his ears are looking <laughs> as he continues his uh, his journey through Afghanistan in his conversations with Raza. I didn't take you for an ophthalmologist. <laughs> <laughs> Things to pay attention to. I guess we'll see. They, Just they, asking for a friend. Okay. Well, they, they look very well manicured and, and shaven. It's obviously he's had some work done. Thus far, yes. They're looking, they're looking spiffy. He's got mm. spiffy ears. <laughs> one, uh, one last note that I had. Time-wise for the movie, I guess we're feeling like there's a little break in time here because realistically, I mean, if he's flying on one of Tony's jets, he's going to get to Afghanistan and back in probably about 24 hours, um, plus any time he has on the ground. So say he's, you know, total round trip 30, maybe 40 hours. So that's a good couple of days. Uh, so, you know, Tony's healing up and everything. I guess it makes sense in story time. Uh, it's just it's hard to pinpoint specifically how much time is really elapsing in this window of time here. Yeah, we have two of these these windows of time questions, right? The first is getting Tony back to his home and the second is Bridges. They're swapping time zones awfully efficiently. Right, yeah. With right. no jet lag. None. <laughs> these guys look terrific. They're going on pure adrenaline. <laughs> That's right. Red Bull, coffee, and just good old-fashioned American can-do. Well, I wonder if having an RT device in your chest, uh, you know, I wonder if that just juices you up oh, naturally. Yeah, he's dosing. You're absolutely right. <laughs> That's a lot of energy. All those gigajoules. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you know, there's uh, there is something uh, part of the script that I think I'll save for. Uh, some later minutes, but I, I will. I think we'll answer some of our questions, so we'll we'll get to that uh, mm. next time. Um, but otherwise, I don't think I have anything else for this minute. What about you guys? I'm good over here. Oh, the only thing that I wanted to add, uh, just to throw in a little bit in each episode, just kind of looking at the the theological and philosophical themes of Iron Man throughout this um, little little section that I like to call Christ and the Cape. Uh, so in in terms of the the this first minute here I just want to call attention to what in theology we call anthropology not the study of artifacts in ancient cultures but an understanding of the human person. Uh superhero movies have a, a rather low view of human beings generally when the monster shows up or the big bad is causing mayhem and mischief ordinary people are unable to face the evil unable to solve the problem a hero is needed someone who has a special set of skills who is specially qualified to enter into the lion's den of danger that being said i think iron man has somewhat of a, a higher view of human potential than other superhero movies and we see it in the Iron Man suit itself. I mean, yes, 
Tony is Iron Man, but other people can wear the suit. Other people are capable of being heroic if they have, you know, the right training and the right equipment. So uh, it shares some similarities with a, a Christian anthropology where we as human beings are stuck in sin and a cycle of violence and we need a hero in order to save us. And that's where Jesus enters in. Uh, in the Marvel universe, there's a, a higher hope that, yes, things are bad, but there's a possibility that anyone can step into that hero role and uh, anyone can be Iron Man. That's really interesting. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I do too, and it's again, it's one of those uh, those things that we get in the Marvel universe more often, certainly in Phase One, uh, than we do in in DC, right? I mean, it's one of the one of the sort of central differences. Mm -hmm. Well, in uh, in DC, you have gods who are learning how to be human: Superman, mm -hmm. Wonder Woman, even Batman, in a sense. Uh, and right, in yeah. Marvel, you have humans who are learning how to be gods. <laughs> Where right, they right. have they have had these accidents happen to them. Now they have to figure out. Oh, okay. Well, how how do I do this? And uh, like the Olympian gods, their flaws and foibles are magnified by their superpowers coming upon them rather than being diminished. Right. It's interesting right. that Batman kind of ends up in that camp because there's so much about him that is similar to Stark. Right. But it it is interesting that he, he it's something about kind of. For him, it is almost more like coming down from the mountain, you know, to, to kind of do his work. And I, Tony doesn't feel that way for some reason to me. It's 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 a weird. It's a it's a strange thing. I don't I don't, I don't quite know why it uh, ends up that way. I think it's because we know we know that Bruce Wayne is a mask. Bruce Wayne is not who yeah. Batman actually is. Batman is Batman as a core identity. Tony Stark puts on the Iron Man suit, but even then, he is still Tony Stark. He's still the mm. genius philanthropist billionaire playboy. Uh, and I think that's where the difference comes in. There's a very strict separation between hero and um, uh, mild-mannered alter ego in Batman, whereas in Tony, it's much more fluid in terms of uh the identity piece that's uh it's really interesting i i'm gonna have to rethink some things about batman because i think that that uh, actually makes quite a bit of sense yeah looking at it that way you know i i don't want to take this into a completely different direction but i have found it a, a much more interesting experience engaging with batman after what uh after some of the things they're doing with young batman in the dc show gotham uh, I, I found that they're they're playing a lot with exactly some of of these conceits mm. and concepts uh, around giving us an identity for Batman as a child uh, and and teen uh, that that actually lends itself to the Batman that I know as an adult. I think they've done an exceptional job at, at addressing just this stuff. It's fascinating. Now I'm thinking about an eight year old speaking with Christian Bale's Batman voice. <laughs> you know, he's a teenager now and i'm telling you they start doing that oh, he's, he's responding to a young cat woman and it's i just want to know why they did this thing to me right it's really funny yeah it's good. oh that's, that's yeah almost wrong yeah <laughs> well uh father mowry thank you so much for joining us here this week it was great having you oh my, or today oh, no is it is that it are we done <laughs> oh thank you very much for days. coming father mowry but we're gonna have someone else Come on for the rest of the week. Here's, here's your gift bag. Off you go. Okay, is he gone? No, it's my pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for having me on. Do you, do you have a uh, web presence where people can find you? Do you send people anywhere? People can uh, chat me up on Twitter. They can find me at Father Mowry. That's F-R-M-O-W-R-Y. Uh, 
by. I'm happy to entertain questions from all and sundry about uh, anthropology, about theology, about Obadiah and the, the history of the kingdoms of Judah and Edom. Uh, whatever you want to talk about, I'm game for it. Uh, fantastic. Well, everybody, that is it for today's show. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to the show for free at marvelmovieminute.com. Join us over in our Discord chat room and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Next Reel. And if you like what we do and you want to support us and get some cool stuff, become a patron over at thenextreel.com slash Patreon. Until next time, true believers. True believers.